Welcome to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. Enjoy the message. Hey, I wanted to continue today and talk about how to conquer our giants. Last week, if you were with us, we talked about the giants that David actually faced in his life. And when we go to 1 Samuel 17, if you have a Bible, you want to go there or a Bible app, that's where we'll be today. But backing up to 1 Samuel 16 is where the dream happens. God gives a dream, a goal, a plan to Samuel. And he says to Samuel, I want you to go to the house of Jesse, and there you will find the next king. Kind of interesting because Saul was the king and he was already in place and in office, but yet God gives Samuel kind of a stealth mode dream of the future. And you remember when Samuel goes to the house of Jesse, they bring the first kid out and he's not the right one. And the second kid comes out and he's not the right one. And by then the third one says, uh, you, you, you better pull your shoulders back and get bigger muscles because you could be the one selected. And he goes down the line and there's, there's no king. And finally, Samuel says, you got any more kids? And he goes, yeah, we got this snotty nose, runt little kid in the back. He likes to hang out with the sheep. Kind of weird. But I'll bring him out if that's what you say. And Samuel says, yes, I want to see him. And David comes out and the hand of God is all over him. Hey, what's the lesson from that? The lesson is don't look at the natural when God gives you a spiritual promise. The other lesson is this. Don't look in the mirror and say God could never use you because God sometimes uses things that confound the wise, doesn't he? Sometimes he uses people that are most unlikely to succeed. And sometimes he blesses people and families, and it makes you scratch your head. Lord, why did you choose to bless them? God does that to mess with your head. He does. We had a young pastor years ago in Foursquare. Guy never went to Bible college, never went to seminary. Wasn't that great of a speaker. Really, he wasn't. Just a good guy, and God was all over him. And he went and started a church. 10 people in his living room. And pretty soon they went, rented a building and they had 200. And within a year, they had 850 people coming to church. Everybody started interviewing him. They want to know the secrets. And here's what he said. I'm going to give it to you. I don't know. That was it. The secret of my success. I don't know. I pray a lot. Well, that's a good one. I read my Bible a lot. Okay. And every time I get up to speak, I'm full of fear, but God uses me anyway. Oh, we, 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 we can't write that in a magazine. It won't sell. See, God sometimes uses people we don't think he's going to use. And I want to give you a little prophetic word, not a pathetic word, a prophetic word. God's going to use you in the season ahead. And I'm not just flapping my yap. I'm telling you the truth. God's going to use LFC in the season ahead. God's going to use the body of Christ in Santa Barbara County in the season ahead, where people are making room for God and the Holy Spirit. He is going to use them. He's going to move in them. Now, what we saw last week for review, because some of you weren't here and some of you forgot the sermon, I know the truth. Some of you forgot it when you walked out the door. But the first thing is that David went through a season of what we call delay. David went through delay. He was almost not selected. Remember, Jesse said, yeah, I've got one more kid. He wasn't almost the one that was picked. You see, no dream is ever fulfilled instantly. Never fulfilled instantly. 
And patience is required for your dream. Patience is required between the notice you receive, the, the prognosis you receive, and the fulfillment of your dream. In 1 Samuel 17, 12 to 15, it says, uh, now David was the youngest of Jesse's eight sons. His three older brothers enlisted in Saul's army, but David was held back to care for the sheep of Bethlehem. Interesting to note, David is anointed by Samuel. But yet, the next day, he's back tending the sheep. Sometimes God selects us. Sometimes he anoints us. And there's always the waiting. And as Tom Petty said, the waiting is the hardest part. The second thing is discouragement, where people were embracing fear. There was a discomfort. There was a discouragement that happened. Why? Because Goliath was out there two times a day taunting the children of Israel. He was taunting the frontline warriors, telling them, hey, guys, you can't take me on because I'm all that and then some. You, you'll lose if you try to come out here. And they were living in fear. Some of the strongest, burliest men that they had were living in fear. You ever been there? You ever been discouraged and embraced fear? We sang it this morning. I'm no longer a slave to fear. And a quick little story about the young lady, Sarah, leading worship. I mean, we thrust her out here a few months ago to lead worship. She's, well, I lead in youth group, or I worship by myself without a band, and God has stretched her. And thank you for singing with her today, because God has stretched her to be in front of you and to be on the camera and to come and, and on Wednesday nights and practice with the team. There's a lot involved. And when I saw her, and I see some others that are joining us now and emerging from the shadows... Maybe they were on the team in the past, but rarely in front. Last Sunday, when Amanda led us, I thought, oh, my God, she's got good pipes. She can really sing. And that's a, that's a, that's a moving beyond a, a, a spot where someone may have held you back or your, your own fear has held you back. I believe it's a season of release for people to stop being so discouraged. I turned on the news the other day. I was discouraged. I turned it off quickly because Fox News and CNN were contradicting each other in the same moment. They both covered the same event and they contradicted each other. I thought, this is crazy. I'm going to go to NPR, National Public Radio. And they had a whole other viewpoint. And then I kicked a button and it was talk radio and these people were calling in. I go, what planet do you live on? And this one lady said on talk radio, I know exactly what I'm talking about. No one can argue with me, she said. I thought, ah, oh, I want to argue with you. <laughs> Hello, I'm here, but I was talking to the radio, and it didn't talk back, and yeah, discouragement. You know what I know about negative people? Can I tell you about negative people? They are highly contagious. You hang around them for a while, whoo, they're highly contagious. So let me just give you the pastor's advice here on conquering your giants and being discouraged. Stop listening to gossip. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Now, this isn't for you. The nine o'clockers need it. Maybe somebody else needs it. But stop listening to gossip. And by the way, the way to fix gossip is first, just do this. Can I quote you on this? When somebody tells you a juicy story, before you tell me, can I quote you? Oh, no, don't tell anybody the source. Then I don't want to hear it. Oh, yeah. Hope you get it. 
Have you gone to those directly involved? Another two. Yeah, because uh, Johnny told me about Billy. Have you gone to Johnny and Billy? Well, no, but, but Johnny told me about Billy, so therefore it must be true. And No, go, listen, can I, can I quote you? And have you gone to those, those involved? Have you gone directly to those involved? That will stop 90% of the gossip in America. Good morning. And some of you are going like, I could feel you. I'm not even looking at you. I could feel you. But pastor, I like gossip. It will discourage you. It will suck the Holy Spirit out of you. Good morning. It will allow bitterness to rise in you. It's highly contagious. As David talked with his brothers, 1 Samuel 17, 23 and 24, on the front line, he saw Goliath start shouting his usual threats to the Israel's army. Do you know how much gossip was going on in the Israel army? Oh my God, we can't beat the giant. But when the army heard Goliath, they all ran away in terror. This is not a time to run away. This is a time to run to God. This is a time to run to each other and encourage each other. The third thing was disapproval. We talked about it last week. And we said, don't let the size of your, 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 your dream be determined by the size of yourself, but allow the size of your dream to be determined by the size of your God. And when people come to, together and say, who do you think you are? You just tell them, I am a child of God. Isn't that good? And then you tell them this, my dream is not about me. My dream is about the size of the God that I serve, who's greater than any power or any God on this planet. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the Bible. I had to remind somebody the other day who my God was, because they said, I believe in God too, and their God was different than mine. Make sure you know what God, people are believing. I believe in God. I've given my life over to God. I said, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They said, no, the God of the universe. I said, yeah, yeah, my God. No, this, the God out there, the spirit, it's whatever I want it to be, they said. I said, really? They said, yeah. It's like the karma and the energy and the Zen all rolled into one. And at night, I talked to my dog. I said, that's, that's God backwards. And they, they said, yeah, God is in everything. If you will choose it to be, pick up a flower and God is there. And I said, you're nuts. That was my answer for that. I tried to help them see. Hey, can I tell you this? Somebody said this to me, that sometimes God will put a Goliath in your life for you to find the David within you. That's good. Sometimes God will put the Goliath in your life to find the David in you. So at the top of your notes, focus on your giants and you stumble. Focus on God and the giants tumble. Mm. So here's what you do to defeat the giants of the past. I'll make this as fast as possible, which means absolutely nothing when you're a pastor. <laughs> Remember God's faithfulness in the past. Have you forgotten some of his faithfulness to you? When you were discouraged and he came through and or like one person said to me when they got married, they said, God provided me with the greatest woman in the world. And five years later said, God provided me with a woman. And 10 years later, I wish God would provide me with a different woman. Uh, but do you remember that God uh, brought you with, if you're married with your spouse? The other morning, I won't embarrass her. But the other morning, I thanked God for Debbie. I was praising God for her. I said, God, thank you for a wonderful, godly wife. And the Lord whispered to me, yeah, she has to put up with you. <laughs> and it's true. 
Hey, we easily forget the goodness of God. That's why we sang it this morning. How has God helped you in the past? You ever get a journal out and write down what he's done for you? I encourage you the next few months, just write down everything that God does for you, how he answers your prayer, how you sense his presence. Just write it down because someday you're going to need it when things get dark and giants raise their ugly head and you can pull it out and say, man, thank you, God, for what you've done. Israel repeatedly forgot the goodness of God. They worship him on the other side of the Red Sea. The horse and riders fall in the sea. We sing songs of praise to our mighty God. And the next chapter, they forgot what God had done for them. I mean, it's crazy. The disciples, Jesus just fed the multitudes. And now here they are with no bread and they're complaining. What are we going to do, God? Where are we going to find, where are we going to find bread? And they've got the greatest miracle worker right in their boat. And I'm guilty. Maybe you are. I'm guilty of God blessing and God coming through. And then here comes a crisis. And I, God, are you still with me? And we need to look at our past and remember what God has done. He never changes. First Samuel 17, 36 and 37, David says, when everyone tells him it can't be done, in protecting my sheep as a shepherd, I've killed both the lion and the bear. Remember that? The Lord who delivered me from the teeth of that lion and the claws of that bear will surely now deliver me from the Philistine. What's he doing? He's remembering the past. He killed a lion and a bear with his bare hands. And God gave him that supernatural strength. My dear friend I told you about last week, Max Lucado, we're, we're, we're good friends, though I've never met him, but I want to someday. I love what he writes. He wrote a book called Facing Your Giants. And in that book, he gives the name to the five smooth stones that David grabbed. Now, you won't find those names of the stones in Scripture, but Max takes some liberty. He talked about the stone of the past. And in that, he says, a good memory makes a hero. A bad memory makes a wimp. And when you see the giant, is that all you see? Do you see an amazing God or do you see your problem? And Lucado goes on to say, if you constantly talk about your problem and rehearse your problem over and over and over, you get a mindset of woe is me and you forget to say great is he. Woe is me. Woe is me. Woe is me. So here's what we do. We write today's worries in the sand, and we chisel yesterday's victories into stone. This is what God did. And the children of Israel used to set up monuments, stacks of stones to remember how God delivered them. And so when their kids walked by, they could tell their kids, you know why these rocks are here? Because God delivered us. See, God's done stuff in your family. If you have kids and grandkids, God has done stuff in your family that your family needs to know about down the line. When you were single and you did some things that maybe you don't want to share with, by the way, don't share that with them, but God redeemed you. God saved you. Your kids and grandkids need to know that story. They need to know about the faithfulness of God. The second stone is a stone of prayer where Lucado says, before ascending to fight, descend to prepare. Ephesians six eighteen, and this is something our kids are learning today in Sunday school, this very lesson. Prayer is essential in this ongoing warfare, and here's what they're learning today, pray hard and pray long. I think sometimes we think about our problems so much that we think that we prayed about them because we think about it so much that we train our brain or trick our brain into thinking we prayed, but thinking about something is not prayer. 
Going to God and letting our requests be known to him, conversing with him, listening to him, that's what prayer really is. Isaiah 26.3, this verse is for somebody, I know it. God will keep in perfect peace all who trust in God, whose thoughts are what? Are fixed on God. You fix your thoughts on your problem, your problem grows. You fix your thoughts on God, and your God grows. And then God can give you perfect peace. Undiluted, unspotted, unhindered peace. And where does it go? To the person who has their mind fixed on God. Could, could I ask you to, to, to make a deal with me? Let's fix our minds more on God than anything else. More on God than the headlines. More on God than anything that you're dealing with right now. I'm going to fix my heart and my mind on God. And the next stone is a stone of priority, as Lucato calls it. It's about God's reputation. David saw Goliath as an opportunity for God to flex his muscles. He even says that, well, in 1 Samuel 17, 47, all those who gathered here will know that it's not by sword, it's not by the spear, for the Lord saves. For the battle is, come on, the Lord's. What if you looked in the face of your problem right now and said, you know what? Battle? <laughs> you belong to God. You're not me. You're not my battle. I've cast all my cares on Jesus, and, and, and he will give you, he will give you <laughs> into our hands, all of you. We will fight, and we will be strong, and we will make sure that God is our priority, and the next stone is a stone of passion. I love this about David. He ran not away from the giant, but towards the giant. He was passionate about God's assignment that God had given him. And Saul and the cowardly army ran the other way. But the passion for God inside of David, he runs towards God. I want to be like that, don't you? He runs towards God so he can run towards the giant in his life. Then there's the stone of persistence, which is never give up. And I know there's some of you through the season of life that you've been through. It's like, I just want to give up. Don't you dare give up. So five stones. What for? Why five? Well, the Bible tells us that there were, were four, possibly brothers. Some scholars say they were the sons of Goliath, but there were five together. And David was, this is so cool. David was ready, not for a miss. He was ready to take down five giants, giant people of Gath, these big giant galoots. He said, hey, you're going to come after me? Then your family comes after me. I'm ready for them. And remember that, that, that sling was not a kid's slingshot. It was two, uh, it was one long strap with two ends with a little pocket for the rock. And he would fling it. And scientists tell us that as he let go of the one end, it went 74 miles an hour. Slower than Danny Duffy pitching for the Dodgers. Huh? He got traded, you know. 74 miles an hour. It hit Goliath in less than a second. One Mississippi, boom right there. And David stood there. Hey, I want you to stand there. When your giant topples over, you stand there and go, depression is gone. My illness is gone. That relationship has now been reconciled. That job opportunity came back around to me. My kids are good. Oh God, my son, my daughter is now clean and sober. Man, where those giants start toppling and we just say, God, it's all because of you. 
and your goodness. The second thing I want you to see is grab hold of and use what you got. Don't wait for God to give you some kind of miracle to start serving him in a, mir- in a miraculous way. Sometimes people wait for more information before they share their faith. Sometimes people wait for more scripture. I have people tell me all the time, I'm going to start tithing when I get more money. That usually never happens. Tithe now. Start now. Start giving God your 10% now. Start praying for other people now. Well, pastor, I don't pray that well out loud. Who cares? What are you doing when you pray? You're calling on God to intervene in a situation where two or more are gathered. You're praying for someone. Let God show up. I have never had anyone tell me, ever, don't pray for me. I've asked people in public. I've ridden with police officers on ride-alongs. I've never had anyone say to me, don't pray. Is it okay if I pray for you? Can I pray now? No one has ever said no. I even prayed for the gal one time through the Starbucks drive-thru. Nobody was behind me, so I took the liberty. She shared with me that her mom had cancer. I said, can I pray for you? She said, sure. I prayed right there at the drive-thru. Well, I just had to wait for my coffee anyway. Dear Lord, bless her. I called her by name. She had her badge on. Bless her as she's afraid because her mom has cancer. God, would you intervene on her mom's behalf? Would you give her peace right now? In Jesus' name, here's your coffee. He said, amen. God bless you. She had a smile on her face. She was glowing. It was so great. Now you might say, well, you're a pastor, but you could do that. You could get, you go to grocery stores. That gal, she's a captive audience right there. That gentleman scanning your stuff. He can't go anywhere. I, I tell you, he can't walk away. He's got, hey, while you're scanning my items, can I just thank you for being here? God, I pray that you'll bless, and you could just call him by name, that you'll bless them. They're not going to turn you down. It was some creepy lady asked for God to bless my life. They're not, they're not going to say that. I promise you. All right, I'm moving on. I'm moving on. Hey, when you start something new or you move into a new season, people are going to try to convince you that you're nuts. Had somebody in the church last week let me know. They sent me an email. They said, hey, pastor, you were right. Because you said when we come to church, people are going to know we're there. My, my neighbor asked me why I go to church. And I told him. And they said, oh, that's, that's make-believe and superstition. She could stop going to church because her neighbor made an indictment on her. But here's what I know. When Saul came out and tried to get David to wear Saul's armor, Saul knew right away, this doesn't fit me. This is not for me. And it says in verse 38 to 40, thank you, Marquez. Then Saul dressed David in his own armor. But David said, I can't go out in these because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Instead, he chose five smooth stones for his sling. Why? Because he knew how to do a sling. Use what you got. Use the verses you know. Use the experience you have in the Lord. I'm going to give you a verse, Ecclesiastes 11.4. It says, if you wait for perfect conditions, you'll never get anything done. There you go. Well, I'll work on the yard when the weather's it's too hot today. It's too windy tomorrow. It's too cold. It's too damp. It's too marine layer-ish now. <laughs> if, you, if you wait for perfect conditions, right? You'll never get anything done. Well, when my husband changes, then I'll... No, you go ahead and change. You start today. When my wife starts treating me right, then (laughs) thank God for her, and you start changing today. When my parents start doing something different, no, you, you start today. Don't wait for perfect conditions. You'll never get anything done. All right. 
Uh, don't listen to naysayers, number three. We have enough naysayers to last us a lifetime, don't we? Come on. I call them dream busters, not ghost busters, dream busters. John Wooden, some of you remember John Wooden. What a great coach with great, great quotes. Here's one. You can't let praise or criticism get to you. It's a weakness to get caught up in either one. Praise or criticism. See, we live by the word of God, every word that proceeds out of his breath. Can I remind you, no one encouraged David. Read the story. Nobody encouraged David. The army said, there's no way we can beat the Philistine. And they all ran for fear. Saul said, you need my armor. His brothers ridiculed him. He almost didn't get selected in Jesse's house. No one encouraged David. And yet David encouraged himself. 1 Samuel 30, verse 6, going forward. When others were speaking against him, David encouraged himself in the Lord. Can, can I just give you a really strong word? Don't wait for everyone to like you. Don't wait for everyone to encourage you. Don't wait for everyone to come along and say, you're so awesome and I love you. Just encourage yourself in the Lord when no one else does. Encourage yourself in God. Really? Why? Because the Holy Spirit's called the encourager. Oh, I wonder why. The one that comes alongside us, the parakaleo, the paraclete, the one who holds us up when we're about to fall over. That's what God does with us and for us. So even if other people don't encourage you, you'll be encouraged in the Lord. Now, if anyone's discouraged, you don't have to raise your hand. If anyone's ever discouraged, here's Pastor Bernie's method for getting out of discouragement. Go encourage five people. When you're at your lowest, darkest, dumpiest spot, nobody loves me, everybody hates me, think I'll eat some worms, one of those kind of spots, you, you, you get out and find five people to encourage. Better if you call them and if you text them. Because I've got some texts lately that somehow autocorrected some things that hey, it wasn't good. Anyway, but, but why, don't you, why don't you find five people to encourage? Hey, thinking about you today, praying for you, you're a gift in my life. There you go. Hey, I think you're wonderful. If you've got kids, hey, son, hey, daughter, I was thinking about you today. I'm so proud of you as your parent. I got to tell you that. Huh? And then you know what? You'll find people that are dark. You ask God, Lord, I've just encouraged four. Is there a fifth person that I need? And let God speak their name to you. You'd be amazed at what that timing might be for them. And when you encourage others, the Bible says we reap what we sow. Or some people like to say is this, what goes around comes around. Huh? Well, you start giving out encouragement, guess what's going to happen? It's going to come back to you. I promise you that. Number four, believe and expect God to help you. Believe and expect God to help you. We have to be people. <laughs> well, here it is. First Samuel 17, 45, 47. We've got to be people that shout to our giants. Here's what he said. You come at me with a sword and spear and javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord Almighty. When was the last time you told your giant that? Well, I got this giant in my life. I got this overwhelming depression. I got this, this discouragement in my, I got, I got, when have you just, and you might need to shut the door and you might need to get in your car and roll the windows up and tell your giant, giant, 
You come at me with all this discouragement, this emotional baggage, but I come at you, in, in, what's it say? In the name of the Lord Almighty. Today the Lord will conquer you. He didn't say him. He didn't say him. He said, today the Lord will conquer you and the whole world will know there is a God. I love that. And everyone will know that the Lord doesn't need weapons to rescue his people. It is his battle, not ours. It's his battle, not ours. And the Lord will give you to us. Ever had God do that for you? Or he did a miracle for you? You didn't expect that job and you got that job. You didn't expect somebody to pay you back, but they paid you back. You didn't expect God to heal you and he did. You didn't expect God to, and you fill in the blank. So all of this, all of this comes back to the very first verse, and we looked at it for several weeks. It's Romans 12, 2, and it says this, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's where transformation starts. So what do you think about your giants? What do you think about your problem? What do you think about your prognosis? What do you think about your relationships? And who gets to influence your thinking? I talked with somebody recently. I'm not going to take long to tell you this story. But as they talked to me about life and about headlines, I just thought, Lord, they are, they're convoluted. And they almost sucked me into their thinking for a moment. They were so persuasive. And here's what I said to them. You've taken a little bit of this story and a little bit of that story and a little bit of this story. You put it in your blender and you hit puree. And you hit puree so long that now you can't tell where you got what from. But all you know is you're drinking from the smoothie of nuttiness. And, and conspiracy, and hoaxes, and some truth, and some not truth, and some gossip, and some grandeur, and some CNN, and some Fox, and some NPR, and some talk radio. <laughs> and, and you've come up with this absolute truth. They are convinced that it's truth. And I asked them this, oh, they got mad at me. <gasps> Don't, don't worry, I got extra padding. I'm okay. They got mad at me. And I asked them this question. When was the last time you spent long, concentrated moments in the Bible? When was the last time you cried out to God and asked him to speak his truth to you and you were still before him? And they said, I can't remember. Ah. Hey, dear ones, don't drink everyone else's puree. I give you permission to. And when the gossips come around, I give you permission. Can I quote you? <laughs> Have you gone to those directly involved? Do you know the story to be true? No, I don't know. Then I don't want to hear it. I give you permission to plug your ears. Good morning. This is so good for you to hear. Because a lot of us, well, not you, but a lot of people keep hearing stuff that isn't true, and they're treating it as though it is. I want to give you the last bit of truth, and it's not even in your notes. It's the greatest giant of all that gets toppled over. It's the loudest thud in the spiritual realm. It's the giant, it's the giant called death, and it's the giant called hell, and it's the giant called the wages of sin. 
That's it. And it's what Jesus conquered in the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane means the oil press. It's known for its oil groves. And they would take the oil, the olives, and they would press them. They make E-V-O-O out of it, right? Jesus was literally pressed in the Garden of Gethsemane, so much so that he, he started to sweat drops of blood. Blood was coming out of his pores. It's a medical condition. You can look at it. It's when your body can't handle what's going on. And so Jesus is there, and he asked God if he could somehow take the cup away from him. He said, if this cup can pass from me, what does the cup represent? It represents the sin of every human being from Adam to the last person born. Your sin, my sin, everyone's sin. And Jesus says, I don't know if I, I can handle taking on the sin of humanity because I'm pure, because I'm God. But his flesh, his flesh was feeling the pain of the cross, but his soul, his spirit was feeling the dirtiness of humanity. And here's what he says. If there's another way, God, if this cup can pass, and then, and then he finally says these words. You remember? Not my will, but yours be done. I surrender my control to you. Another way to topple your giant. I surrender my control to you. I'm not in control. I feel out of control, so I give you control. And I want to follow your will and your way. I want to do exactly what you want me to to do. So those of you here, those of you online, maybe you've never allowed your greatest giant to topple. That's the giant of sin itself. That's the giant of being separated from God for all eternity without salvation. That's the giant of the day that you die. And by the way, can I tell you something? If you have Christ as your Savior, you will never die. You will live with him in eternity. What a great giant. He defeats on the cross for us. So with your heads bowed, Lord, if there's anyone here today who've yet to give you their life, yet to give you their heart, yet to give you their faith, I ask you in Jesus' name that you would, that you would save them today. And, and here's the prayer. It's real simple. Jesus, I give you my life. Would you say that? Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I trust you. I believe you died on a cross. I believe you rose from the dead, and I receive your gift of salvation. Let the greatest giant in my life topple over. That my name would be written in the Lamb's book of life, that my place would be secured for me in heaven. And then, Lord, I pray for those who are facing overwhelming odds, overwhelming fatigue, just overwhelming darkness in their life that you would allow us to rise in you and be strong in you. And we won't listen to naysayers. We won't listen to our own fear, but we will say the battle is the Lord's and that you will give us success. And we will rise up in you and because of you. We love you, Lord. And we thank you that your mercy never fails. We ask you to lead our lives. We will follow you. And I pray that you'll give us victory in your mighty name. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. 
Please visit us at mylfc.com for more information about our church. Thank you so much for listening.